Welcome to episode 45 of Around the Jewish World with Tom Price. We began this group of episodes with an introduction to the Caucasus during our last session together. And I'm going to start with the country I know best, although it probably has the least significant Jewish history of the three. It still has a very important Jewish history. And one of the conflicts that I forgot to mention last time was the very emotional and often violent and always passionate dispute between Armenia and Georgia over who has the oldest Christian church in the world. Now, what does this question even mean? It's not referring to a physical building. It's referring to the year in which a given country became Christian on a national basis. In other words, a country adopted Christianity as its official religion. And we often think it was the Roman Empire that did that first, but the Roman Empire actually didn't adopt Christianity officially until the 320s. And both Armenia and Georgia were earlier than that. Most scholars agree that groundbreaking for the Armenian version of the Vatican, which is called Etchmiadzin, began in the year 301. And it was in that year that Armenia officially became a Christian country. Georgia, according to most scholars, converted on a national basis a few years later, also very early in the fourth century of the Common Era, but not quite as early as Armenia. However, there are very intelligent and very sophisticated Armenians and Georgians who will argue for dates in the late 280s of the Common Era, or at the latest in the 290s. So there may have been Christian missionaries, but it appears that the consensus is 301 for Armenia and a few years later for Georgia. However, just to give you an idea of how high passions can run on this subject in the Caucasus, when I lived in Armenia, there were very few restaurants that were open for business, in part because the supply of electric power was very sporadic and very iffy. And there were times when we had two hours every two weeks of electricity. And so it was difficult for restaurants to work and to provide service. And life was anything but normal. However, always exciting, always adventurous, and always somehow filled with warm community and meaning. But Armenians and Georgians would get together in this restaurant that we nicknamed because the name of the restaurant was impossible for us to pronounce. It was Doragyuk. We nicknamed this restaurant the Mafia Restaurant because of all the fancy limos and Soviet-style drivers who were dropping off customers there. And it was not infrequent that a conversation over dinner would turn into a dispute over which country had the oldest church. And one or more guns would be drawn and one or more bodies would be on the floor. Mostly not fatally shot, but injured enough to require immediate medical attention. And it was otherworldly in the face of so many real-life problems that Georgians and Armenians could get so passionate over whose church was older. And then in the spirit of Christianity, really, to shoot each other over this question, it was one of the many incongruities, to put it mildly, of life in that region. Now, before we get into the history of the Jews in Armenia, which goes back 
quite a way, certainly to Roman times at the latest. I should mention that my time in Armenia felt extraordinarily lucky in the sense that there were very few other embassies. There was a Russian embassy, there was a Chinese embassy, there was an Iranian embassy, and there was, during the nice months, a French embassy. And I emphasize that because winters were very harsh, and there was neither fuel oil nor electricity. And frequently, there wasn't gasoline for cars. So you had to walk on ice-covered, snow-covered streets. And it was very dangerous. And it amazed me that people lived there so cheerfully and so creatively and above all so hospitably because the thing I most remember about Armenians is how incredibly hospitable they were in spite of all the hardships that they faced on a daily basis. Now let me say that one piece of luck I had was that when I was there the president of the country with whom I dealt on maybe not a daily basis but at least a couple of times a week was born and raised in Lebanon and his mother tongue was hard to say which came first, actually. He was equally fluent, let's say, in French and Armenian. Because he was not a Soviet Armenian, he didn't speak much Russian. And because he was not a Muslim Lebanese, he didn't speak much Arabic. But he and I had long-ranging conversations in French to the utter consternation of note-takers on both sides because I was not exactly the U.S. ambassador, but the highest-ranking U.S. official there called the Chargé d'Affaires. It means I ran the embassy and they, in spite of my insistence on the technical term, they persisted in calling me ambassador after the real ambassador got there, which became an embarrassment and another separate issue. But they, they meaning the note-takers, had to put up with this because the president and I were very comfortable with each other, in part because we both spoke this language that we loved dearly, and in part because we were both facing the same difficult circumstances in daily life. The Armenian White House had no more electricity than the U.S. Embassy did, and frequently we would meet around Coleman camping lanterns, leaving our heavy winter coats on and even leaving our gloves on through long conversations that were interesting and far-ranging. And by utter coincidence, this president was married to a Jewish woman from St. Petersburg who had a son named David, David, and David had a bar mitzvah. And I got to know David very well. He was a very nice young man. And there was a Jewish connection right there. So that connection made me feel comfortable enough to ask the president why there were or at least why there seemed to be so few Jews in Armenia. And his reply was one that I got essentially verbatim from lots of Armenian friends of different ages, different generations, different walks of life. I mean, I certainly knew people who had far more ordinary jobs than being the president of the republic. And their answer was always the same. It was, we're the only Soviet republic that never needed Jews. What do you mean by that? Well, Jews are very smart. They're very good with money and with numbers, and they're great artisans and jewelers and craftsmen. But those are exactly the areas in which Armenians excel. So whereas a country like Turkmenistan had an absolute need for Jews, we never really needed them. So we tolerated them. There was no anti-Semitism here, but we never really needed a massive Jewish community, and therefore our numbers were always small. Well, that turned out to be not precisely true historically. And I'll share with you some of the things I've learned since about the history of the Jews in Armenia. Armenian records attest to the fact that 
a king called Tigran the Great, who ruled in Armenia from 95 to 55 before the Common Era, brought with him 10,000 Jewish captives to the present kingdom of Armenia when he retreated from Judea because the Roman attack on Armenia in the year 69 before the Common Era. Tigran also invaded Syria and probably northern Israel, and a large Jewish population was settled in Armenia from the first century before the Common Era onward. One city in particular became an important commercial center, and thus Armenia's Jewish community was established and never completely disappeared. By the fourth century of the Common Era, there was a massive increase in Jewish Hellenistic, Greek-speaking Jews into Armenia, and many Armenian towns became predominantly Jewish. During this period, the 4th century AD, after the conquest of Armenia by the Sassanid Persian king, he deported thousands of Jewish families from Persian Armenia and resettled them forcibly in modern Isfahan in Iran, a city that I've also had the pleasure of visiting. In 1828, apparently, Eastern Armenia was annexed to the Russian Empire, and Polish and Persian Jews began arriving, as well as Sabbatarians, the followers of Shabtai Tzvi. Since 1840, the various Jewish communities in Armenia started creating separate Ashkenazi and Mizrahi communities in Yerevan. Up to 1924, the Sephardic synagogue was a leading institution among the Jewish community. According to the 1897 Tsarist Empire census, there were a few hundred Jews in Armenia whose native language was quote-unquote Jewish, but it's hard to trust any of these census figures because they all served political purposes for various factions. Russian Jews moved to Armenia in large numbers during the Soviet period because they were looking for an atmosphere of tolerance in a region that was different from Slavic-dominated Russia or Ukraine or Belarus. Following World War II, the Jewish population rose. The Jewish population peaked in Soviet Armenia at approximately 10,000 people. Another wave of Jewish immigrants arrived in the country between 1965 and 1972, mostly intelligentsia, military, and engineers who were actively discriminated against in Moscow, but treated more liberally and allowed to integrate themselves further into Armenian society. However, with the dissolution of the Soviet Union, many of those Jews left due to the first Nagorno-Karabakh War, the first of many. You've already heard about that conflict. Between 1992 and 1994, which is sort of right during and after my time in Armenia, more than 6,000 Jews emigrated to Israel because of Armenia's political isolation and economic total depression. Today, the country's Jewish population has shrunk to under a thousand. But in 1995, a Chabad house was nonetheless established in Yerevan. Presently, there are probably a thousand Jews living in Armenia, mostly in the capital. And I think that the Armenian self-description of why there were never many Jews in the country has to be tempered by the Armenian belief that 
there were three great peoples in the ancient world. And this belief is so widespread as to be almost a cliche. There could be billboards of this everywhere. The three great peoples of the ancient world were, according to them, Greeks, Armenians, and Jews. And all three of those words in Armenian begin with a hard H sound. So it's like the three H club, but the three H's were the great pillars or creators of ancient civilization. And those were Greeks, Armenians, and Jews. And there were, in fact, Greeks, even in Armenia, who I encountered in the most haphazard way. One day I was sitting in the main park at lunchtime. It's a beautiful spring day, and people were enjoying picnic lunches. And I heard several old men speaking Greek. And I said to them, are you from Greece? They said, 2,000 years ago we were. (laughs) Their families had been among the many Pontic Greeks who settled all along the coasts of the Black Sea. And because Armenia once reached the Black Sea at its territorial peak, they ended up in the capital of Yerevan, and their descendants lived there happily. There is one kind of tricky issue, which is Armenian-Israel relations, quite different from Armenian-Jewish relations. The Armenians, especially those outside of Armenia, consider that the greatest tragedy of their history was the so-called Turkish genocide that happened against the backdrop of World War I. And many countries have officially recognized this genocide. The U.S. has not, claiming that, you know, there was a lot of internecine warfare and in the Ottoman Empire, the Armenians were considered a fifth column because they were more loyal to the Russians, who were fellow Christians, than they were to the Ottomans, who were Muslims. And a lot of these age-old stereotypes to which I alluded in our last episode affected Turkish-Armenian relations for a long time. Nonetheless, there is a large and thriving Armenian community in Istanbul today. There's not much left of what were once large, important Armenian cities in the eastern part of Turkey that was once Western Armenia. And Israel's position on what the Armenians consider to be the Holocaust is not entirely supportive because Israel seems to systematically reject any attempt by any other ethnic group or nation to incorporate the word Holocaust into their own histories. The diplomatic relationship between Armenia and Israel has gone through a lot of ups and downs. There was a big period of warming with lots of exchanges, high-level visits in both directions, both countries pledging to strengthen relations and signing agreements on health, bilateral investment, etc., etc. And even the Catholicos, essentially the Pope of all Armenians, visited the Ashkenazic chief rabbi of Israel in 2003. But warming relations between the two countries deteriorated in September of 2020 when the conflict in Nagorno-Karabakh heated up again because Israel supplies a lot of weapons and intelligence systems to Azerbaijan, which Armenia considers its mortal enemy. So, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, but the friend of my enemy is also my enemy. In any case, there were At some points in history, as many as 50,000 Jews in Armenia, there are now about a 1,000 left. And I think the reason is largely the incredible economic hardships of the transition period from Soviet rule to Armenian independence, which has always been a difficult project and a challenging one. 
Armenians are absolutely the most hospitable people on earth. They probably have some of the greatest fruits on earth too, which are totally organic, untreated, whatever, but best tomatoes in the world. You can make a whole meal off one Armenian tomato, salt, pepper, and olive oil. In May, there's like no better meal to have and some good Armenian bread on the side. So I highly encourage people who have any interest at all in this region to go and visit all three countries, see for yourselves magnificent Armenian stonework from ancient monasteries dating back to the 5th, 6th, 7th centuries of the Common Era and still standing in strategic places on hilltops and whatever. It's an unforgettable landscape and a visit there will repay you many times over. Thanks for listening and I hope to talk with you again soon.